Hi, I'm Michelle G. I'm a compulsive overeater. I brought my pictures. That's in. I come from the San Fernando Valley, which is part of Los Angeles, and it's. I don't know. It's something that we've done. I my first day in OA, I went to a meeting where I heard someone who had lost over 100 pounds and been keeping it off, and they passed their pictures around, and it was the first time that I think I saw somebody in person who had actually lost 100 pounds and kept it off. And I think he had been abstaining for about 10 years at that point. So when my sponsor suggested that I make a photo album, I made a photo album. And so I have been abstinent since August 31st, 2009. And I've been for a probably getting close to four years now, I've been maintaining around a 90-pound weight loss. And I, what it was like when I came in was I was, I was very, very desperate. I was at a bottom. I had been morbidly obese for over a decade. Uh, the 10 years before that, I was restricting and had, I mean, I've had behaviors with food and my body since I was nine years old. And the, the last 10 years were binging and grazing all day long. And I was, the time, like when I came in, I was on a vacation for three weeks and I thought, this is it. I'm going to diet. I'm going to lose 80 pounds. I'm going to go back to work and everybody's going to think I'm awesome. And every morning I would have that, that desire. And by 11 o'clock I was already like I'd hit a drive through and then, you know, on to the next drive through. And I, at that time I had I had a teen I had two teenage sons at that time and so it was easy for me to go to a fast food restaurant and just order a lot of food and some of it was for them but a lot of it was for me and I got into a habit of that so then when I would go I would go by myself it was the same thing and I would be like pretending like oh I'm ordering for a whole bunch of people and I, at work, I was the joke like, oh, what diet are you on this week, Michelle? And I would do these diets. I would go on a diet. I would go off a diet. I would go on a diet, lose. You know, I think I started with I lost 30 pounds, and then I gained back 40, and then I lost 40 and gained back 50 and just kept doing that. And I... um. I was miserable, and I was going to the doctor. I had a lot of health issues. I had, um, they were sending me to the high blood pressure clinic. My blood pressure was high, and I was pre-diabetic, and I would, you know, I would go, and the doctor would tell me I needed to lose weight, and that I was having these issues, and then I would, you know, I would go to a drive through on the way home from there. And I, I was married to somebody who had, 
he was an alcoholic and he like I would always think like why can't he stop why can't he stop for our family why can't he stop you know for our kids and I you know and then I would have like that thought like well if someone asked me to stop eating the way I did I wouldn't be able to do that and what happened was the last the last year before I came into OA, I was having these issues at work that were at, like my unmanageability. It was like completely out of control. I was having these issues at work. I had my mother came to live with me. She had fallen and broken her hip and she like I was resentful that I had to take care of her and I had I was I did this thing for work where I thought like oh if I if I join the softball team I'm gonna lose weight it's exercise and I don't want to let my coworkers down and I you know I'm out playing softball at I think at that point I was 180 pounds which for me is like um, 70 pounds overweight. And I, I broke my ankle basically because of my size and my weight. And I had that happen that year. And I had, um, just all this stuff that like I was trying to eat to relieve the stress or push down the feelings or, you know, all the things that food did for me. And it got to a point where, I was eating almost like like a drinker drinks when they black out. Like I'm eating things and not even remembering like whole boxes of of things like in an afternoon where I I'd be like where did where did that box of graham crackers go and I'd look oh it's in the trash and like no recollection recollection of eating that way. And the food just like it wasn't doing that thing for me that I wanted it to do, like with the taking the feelings away. And I, so I kept trying to eat more and more and, and it was, um, it was scaring me. And so I, I talked to somebody about it and they suggested that I come to OA. So I went online and I looked up, where the OA meetings were and this was on a Thursday and I went and they weren't there. Like the meeting wasn't there where it was supposed to be. And so my thought was, Oh, this, you know, I wasn't meant to go then. And so went like binge, you know, picked up food, binge that night, binge the whole weekend. And then on Monday, I was done, like, um, and I went to an OA meeting that day, and I came in, and it was, like, four different, like, it was a very small meeting. There were four people there, and they were all very different from me, but they, they were saying the things that, that I felt, and, like, how, the things that I did with food, and, I completely related and knew like there was something to this. And then later that night I went to a speaker meeting, which was a bigger meeting. We have pretty big meetings in the San Fernando Valley and 
there was probably like 40 people at this meeting. This, like I said, the speaker passed around their pictures and I saw, I saw someone, you know, for the first time who had lost a hundred pounds and kept it off. And I did what someone like, I had people telling me like, this is what you do in a 12 step program. And I like, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to sit in the back. I wanted to not raise my hand when they asked for, you know, who, if you're a newcomer and this person said like, you go to the meeting early, you help set up chairs, you sit in the front and you raise your hand. Like, even if you don't feel comfortable sharing, just raise your hand to read. And those are the things I did. And and I didn't want to, and but I wanted to do something different. Like I knew that like my ways of doing things weren't working, and the person also had told me to thank the speaker at the end and help put away chairs and talk to people and fellowship. And I thought to myself, like I don't have time to do that. I you know I'm so busy and blah blah blah, and I just. Um, I followed what they said and I went and I got a sponsor and and I started doing what she asked me to do. And in the beginning, almost everything she asked me to do, I was like, but I can't do that because I have this going on or I can't do that because of that. And, you know, she would say, do you, do you want to get better? And I did. And that's, that's the thing that I think was different that I wanted to get better. And I knew that the way I was doing things wasn't working. And so I, she asked me to do 90 meetings in 90 days, which sounded impossible to me. And she, she told me that that's the way in her line of sponsorship that her sponsor had done it. And that's what she required of her sponsees and, so that's why, like, if I wanted to work with her, that was required. So she said, you know, just for today, can you go to a meeting? Like, so that was the thought, like, each day, like, today, can I get to a meeting? And so that's, I mean, that's what I did. I, I jumped in. I started going to meetings every day. And I, I didn't start taking service commitments right away, but I I got in the middle and I started talking to people and I would call, I call my sponsor every morning, five days a week, um, Monday through Friday. And the first thing she had me do with her is make the, the list of my, or not a list, like a, it was like an autobiography of all my food history. So it was like, what have you done with, food, dieting, your body, anything that has to do with that. So I started writing that and it turned into 16 pages. And I didn't know at the time, but that, like, that was step one. That was part of like step one for me, like all the ways that I'm powerless. And I mean, I had done every commercial diet. I had, you know, had trainers, went to the gym just everything that, that we do. And, um, so 
All right, the next thing she had me do was write out my list of alcoholic foods or red light foods. And she said, like, like, they're the foods that trigger you. And I knew from all the years of dieting, like, that there were certain foods that once I started eating them, I couldn't stop. And then I would go off the diet. So I made this list and she asked me, you know, like, if I thought I could not eat those foods. And then we started reading the doctor's opinion in the big book. And once we started doing that, I started to, to realize like this, you know, this is a disease. This isn't something that I can control with a diet. And that when I eat these certain foods, I have that it's a physical reaction. And then it causes the mental obsession of the mind. And once I'm in that, like I, there's nothing I can do about it. And so we, um, we also talked about my abstinence and it was very confusing to me when I was new, like, what is abstinence? Like we have to eat. So what do you mean abstain from food? But she explained to me that her abstinence was the way she eats and her food plan was what she eats. So the way she eats was, you know, abstaining from the individual binge foods, which are like the red light foods, and then eating moderately throughout the day. So my abstinence is, and it still is to this day, three meals and two snacks. And it's a no matter what, because not the snacks, but my three meals, because I also have a history of restricting. And once I got in and I started and, you know, I started working the steps and calling my sponsor. It seemed like, you know, oh, I'm not hungry. It's a good idea to skip a meal. I'll lose more weight. And my sponsor was like, you know, this this isn't about the weight. This is about, you know, like behaviors. And so, like, that was one of my behaviors. So I, um, I have three meals a day. Um, two snacks in the beginning were, like, I thought I would die if I didn't have those two snacks. And today they're, they're like, if I know dinner will be later, like much later because I have a work event or something like that, then I have a snack and it's, it's usually a piece of fruit and maybe a string cheese. It's my snacks aren't things that I can eat with like a fork. It's like, to me, that's not a snack. And, um, I, so I started working the steps with my sponsor that way. And, I, um, today I have this, this different life and I know I was, I was told like to talk on the, the, the name of our convention this year, the focus is a new freedom and a new happiness. And it was one of the things like reading the promises in the big book on page 83, it talks about, you know, all, all these ways that our life can be different and the, the way the promises talks about how our lives could be. It's so different than the way I was living. And that was exciting to me to hear people in the room talk about, you know, I have, I have this life today that's beyond my wildest dreams because I never thought that that was something that I could achieve because I, all those years I had tried. Oh, and the other part was like, I was 40 when I came into the rooms. Um, I, 
my plan was like, when I turn 40, I'm going to lose all my weight. I'm going to get my finances in order. Everything's going to be great. I'm going to be a grown-up. And I, like, I came in the month before, or actually 23 days before I turned 41. Like that whole year had gone by and I hadn't done anything to make it better. It was all just getting worse. And um, so to hear people talk about, you know, my life is completely different today and it's because of working the steps, it gave me hope. And it also like told me like, okay, this, you know, if I want what they have, I have to do what they do. And so the group of women that I work with, they, like the way they work the steps, like they work it a certain way. And so, you know, they do what their sponsors have done with them. And then they do that with me. And now the women that I sponsor, that's what I do. And really the, the principles behind the 12 steps are a totally different way of living than what I would normally do. So today, like any big major thing, I usually run it by my sponsor before I try to, you know, take it on myself and manage and control it. And because of that, I have like, my life is different in a lot of ways. Like my relationships are much more sane and peaceful my finances are completely different. And like, I mean, I don't have time to go into it, but I, like in my first two years of abstinence, I was sued for, for, um, money that I had owed from back when I was in my twenties. And so because of that, I was, you know, like I, I got through that. I walked through that abstinently with my sponsor. And I, like, so my finances today, which are, it's almost five years later, are totally different. And my relationship with food is different. Like, I don't see it today as, you know, like, it's my friend. Like, I used to, you know, go the drive through or go to the grocery store and, you know, buy whatever it was I was going to take home and I would put it, you know, in the seat next to me and go home and take it into bed with me. And, you know, it was, it was like, it was my best friend. Or if I had, you know, a bad day at work, I knew like, Oh, if I, if I drive through McDonald's and get that, you know, that special meal that I love, that's going to make me feel better. And so like my relationship today with food is completely different. I don't see it that way. And, you know, like the most interesting things that have happened to me have nothing to do with, with the weight loss. Like that's, you know, it's a, it's a byproduct of me working the steps. And I like, I, I love OA. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for this program. And I'm, you know, like even the speaking, this is my first time speaking at a convention too. So I'm grateful to be able to participate in my own recovery this way. And I, um, today I have this relationship. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the big book and just that when I got it, my sponsor told me that this is, you know, it's like a it's like directions on how we live our life and it's good orderly direction. And, you know, I know today that any problem that I may 
come across or anything in life that I come across, the solution is in that book. And I'm just very, very grateful for OA. And thank you for letting me share. Is there anyone in this room who's never been to an OA meeting? Who's never been to an OA meeting? Okay. So maybe we're going to, you might know, we're going to do the uh, pass basket, ask, write question for the two panel speakers. It'll be anonymous. You don't have to say, well, that's my question. We don't care. So we'll pass it around, pass it around, and then when Michelle is done, they'll answer the questions. Hmm? Oh, good. Are these the before pictures? We've got some before pictures to, to share. There's only a few. I'm Michelle, compulsive overeater. Um, I have to start with first these platform cha uh, table things we have to stand on scare me to death. I hate these stupid things. Um, I, at first, I hit my highest weight in my junior year in high school, and you'll see a picture of me in there um, in a cap and gown, and that's my senior year. And I first said I was not going to walk because I knew that they stack these little table things on, and I was so afraid that they would break if I went up there. And then I also couldn't order a gown because they didn't come that big. So for my parents, we looked into finding a gown. We got it special ordered. And I just prayed the whole way, like missed the whole beginning of my graduation because all I've thought of was, dear God, please don't let the stage come crashing down when I'm up there. Thank God it did not. Hopefully it will not today. Um, and if it does, it does. By the grace of God, I am down 200 pounds from that weight. Um, so hopefully that's making a difference in the stage being okay. Um, and it is because of this program that I have been able to release that weight. I was a compulsive overeater from as early as I can remember. I was a latchkey child growing up, and so my brother and I would come home from school, and um, we would eat. Uh, I would, you know, get food and go into my bedroom to get away from him and, you know, sneak food so that I would have it for later in the night. Um, and, you know, our, our literature says that we... Um, ate to sate the fear and anger and as a kid I ate so I didn't feel the fear from my household and uh, someone in program that I heard share he says that he ate so that he didn't feel the fear as much as a kid he ate so that he fe didn't feel the sadness as much as a kid um, and so that I can totally relate to that Growing up in a very chaotic household, eating is what comforted me. It also brought me a lot of shame because of the fact that I got shamed when I did get caught eating extra. 
I um, also gained weight and was a big kid, so that brought me shame at home and at school. And so I became very quiet. I didn't talk to anybody, didn't make eye contact with anybody. I Food literally became my best friend. I stole food in, in elementary school. In junior high, I didn't have anywhere to steal food because we moved to the country, so it wasn't much I could do. I stole food at home. The one thing I can remember was my mom used to buy these big old chocolate Ghirardelli. I think they're like 10 pounds or something. I don't know. But she'd keep it in the freezer, and so when I'd get home from school, I would try and sliver little slices off so that maybe she wouldn't notice that the chocolate was disappearing faster than normal. And then I became the master, the pro at, like, chips. If you ate some and you shook the bag right and then closed it, it still didn't look like there was as much gone from the bag. Or with cookies, if you push them forward and then kind of slant them, they might not know there's actually some missing at the end. Um, my mom used to hide M&Ms, whatever. You cannot hide candy from me. I will find it. And so it would be in the evenings that she chose for us to have candy, she'd be like, okay, I'm going to tell you where it is, and then I'll rehide it. Okay, Mom, where is it? I, I mean, I, I don't know that there was a time I hadn't found the candy stash already. It just was, you know. Um, in high school... Like I said, I hit my top weight my junior year, which brought with it a whole nother layer of shame and embarrassment and hatred of myself because then I really got it at school also. Um, there was no escape from it. And so I I just really turned inside. And um, some of the physical ramifications really started, you know, messing with me. Also, I, I couldn't fit into the high school desks. And so what I had to do was, since this is the um, smallest part of my body, like I would squat and then like squeeze in so like I could get in right there. But then because I'm tall, my knees would then hit the bars. And so I could barely breathe because I'm like squished into this thing. My stomach like took up part of the desk so I couldn't breathe I don't know how I passed high school I did fortunately um, but it was hell and so because of the experience of where I was emotionally after that where I was physically I decided there was no way I could go to college like how was I going to go fit into the little tiny college seats um, there was a lot of thoughts that suicide would be a much better option for me. I didn't know that I could get anything, you know. I didn't think at that time I was powerless. I, I thought I was powerless, but I thought it was a matter of me gaining the power. Like, I didn't realize then that I'm powerless. Period. I'm powerless. I thought it was, I'm going to get the power, I went on I don't know how many diets, and I had lost 50 pounds. I had lost 100 pounds. And then, because the diets worked for me. The problem for me is the diets only worked so long. 
and then the weight would come on and then even more weight would come on. And so life just continued. I did a, uh, what do they call it in the big book, a geographical change or something like that and moved to Oregon thinking that my family was the whole problem as to why I was depressed and eating. So let's move to Oregon and things will be better. I'll go to school up there also. So that lasted a year. I A friend moved also, so we had a place together. And our favorite things were French Fry Friday. So every Friday we went to the next little town because we didn't have a McDonald's. We'd go get large French fries because um, it's French Fry Friday. That's what we created. And then we also got a Costco membership so that we could get the hot tamales and M&Ms and each divide it in half. So then we'd have a Ziploc bag full of half tamale, hot tamales, half M&Ms. And I'm lucky if mine lasted a day or more than a day. If I have candy, as soon as I start eating it, it's gone. Like I just can't stop having it. I have an allergy to sugar. My body reacts where it just wants more. And um, so when I realized that moving was not solving my problems, I still was not making friends. I still wasn't talking to anybody. I was still eating. My eating was still out of control. Um, the thought that I was going to get it in control was still there until I, you know, completely realized, all right, this isn't working. I'm going to head back down to California. Um, came back down. The eating ensued. I I drove here with someone from Sacramento that I haven't had an opportunity to talk to with a lot. And so we were driving through the d town of Dixon. And there's this off-ramp pit school road that has, it's the mecca of fast food. And so I went... I also went to school in San Leandro on Saturdays, and so what I would do is, on the way, stop at Pitt School Road because there's a fabulous bakery. And so I had to get the bagel and cream cheese and the coffee, and then I needed a donut for the dessert after, but then I needed donuts for later, which really meant by the time I got on the on-ramp, it was probably gone. So that was on the way there. Well, then when school was done and I was driving back to Sacramento, it was stop at this drive-thru, put it under the seat, don't get a drink yet, go to the next drive-thru, put it on the seat, better have something to cover it up with so I can get to the next drive-thru, and get a drink there. So then I had at least a drink. Um, that's how I spent my time going when I was going to the school in San Leandro. Um, and while that food was taking over, I, thank you, um, it just, it was just, you know, emotionally I was a mess. Having, um, eating so much, like, left nothing left for me in my mind. <coughs> my mind was just so obsessed with food, getting my next bite. And then physically, not being able to do anything. Um, I, as a kid, rode my bike, and I could no longer enjoy riding a bike. I couldn't ride a bike anymore. Um, I couldn't go for walks. I 
my physical body did not allow for that anymore. My blood pressure was really high. And um, two things, three things I say kicked my butt finally. I broke my foot and I fractured my foot in two places. And the doctor said, we need to put three screws in your foot. And I said, okay. He goes, but we can't. He goes, you weigh too much. If we put the screws in, when you step, your bones will shatter with the screws in there. He goes, we can't do anything for you. You're going to have the two fractures in your foot, and we, we can't. So he suggested a way of me losing weight, and I said, you know, that's not gonna, that doesn't work for me. So I had that incident. And then um, my godson had been born, and when he was two years old, I had taken him to the park, and he came up to me and he said, shall you run with me, you run. I said, I can't, buddy. And so here's my two, two-year-old godson who, I'm, who I adore, and all he wants me to do is chase him at the park. And I can't, I couldn't. I, I wasn't physically able to. And so those two incidences, I was finally was like, okay, I, I need to start losing the weight again. And so my friend, who had been to OA before, she said, hey, you want to go to a meeting with me? And I said, sure. So that was my higher power. And um, I went to my first meeting and thought it was a cult. I was like, what the hell? People say, hi, my name is, and then everybody responds to them. They hug each other. They say these prayers and hold hands. I don't know what this, <laughs> I just can't. So she said, just come to me for, to another meeting. And so I went to another meeting and knew what to expect then. Like I knew people would say, hi, I'm Michelle. And then people would say back, talk back to them. And, um, and so I stayed. I, something, my higher power had me stay. And um, I asked someone to be my sponsor. And I started working the steps right away. The first day that I asked her to be my sponsor, she said, can we talk after the meeting? I said, yes. We sat down. She said, what are you going to eat today? I said, I don't know. And she goes, well, let's plan it out. I said, okay. And so I, to this day, do that. I, um, at night, create what I'm going to eat the following day, and I email it. And if during the day I'm going to change it, I simply send a text or an email saying, you know what, this came up. I'm going to go to lunch with a friend. This is going to be what I'm having instead. Um, I, by working, um, working the steps daily, by doing my 10th step every day, by prayer meditation in the mornings, um, life has just drastically changed. I mean, emotionally... I'm standing up here. First, when I texted my sponsor, her I said something, and then um, she said, well, whose rules are those? Your answer is yes. And so I wrote back, and I said, oh, maybe those were Michelle's rules as to why I couldn't be of service at the convention today. <laughs> and, um, and so it's a miracle that I'm standing up here because I did not talk to people. It's still very hard for me. I usually don't approach people. And I've been told that um, I look like a bitch. I look stuck up. And it's I don't mean to put that out there. It's I really still have a hard time just going up to people and talking. Someone approaches me, 
I'd be more than happy to talk with them. Um, but I do have a life beyond my wildest dreams because with my godchildren, because I am in a place physically, because I'm in a place where I can be emotionally available, I have two godchildren now. I, they come hang out with me overnight. We go to parks. The other day we went to the swimming pool and I was able to swim after. The oldest one's 10 now. Um, today before I left, I went over to their house and got big squeezes from the youngest is four. And then I said, Oh, I got to soak it up because I'm going to be leaving. And then, um, the oldest one loves that he can put his arms all the way around me and like close his arms. So he just loves standing there now with that. And I love it, love it, love it. Um, I have a different higher power now also. My higher power, I go to every day for everything. It's not a higher power that says, I don't say, dear God, help me um, lose weight. It's please help me eat according to your will today. I still obviously have weight to lose. And so um, I have to ask for that willingness to eat according to my higher power's will every day. And... Um, when it starts to go a little wacky or I think that I want to add something back in my plan, I check with my sponsor. And when I do have something that I haven't been eating, you know, and I talk with my sponsor about it, the most recent thing, which has saved my butt, which I dug my heels in because I didn't want to do it, is I text after every meal right now <laughs> to say I'm done eating and I commit to not eating until the next meal. And it saved, it saved my butt from going into it. I've had a relapse. That's part of my story also. I had three years of abstinence. Um, got into a relationship. Let that person be my higher power. Walked away from my sponsor. Um, but I stayed in the rooms of OA during that relapse. I had a year relapse. Someone told me, put your butt in the chair every week. Whatever you do, once a week, put your butt in the chair and that's what I did, and, you know, thank you. I um, became desperate, and I became absent again and have a current abs three and a half years of abstinence and the current weight loss of 200. And um, someone once said to me, make sure you always say your weight loss because it's not to impress you that I've been able to lose the weight. It's to impress upon everyone that the program works. That when I work the program, I can have this emotional freedom nowadays where I don't have to be locked up in my room, not wanting to talk to anybody, to just hang out with food. I can be out there living life. I can be running with my godchildren. I can have great friends now that I talk to. I can be of service even though when I initially want to say no um, because I'm willing to listen to the others that have gone before me that I've seen this work for. And so when I choose to take their suggestions, almost always, if not always, they have worked and helped me. Um, and I am truly a different person, just in a very positive way, um, as to who I've become through this program. And continue to look forward to life that will come 
as I stay on this program. I absolutely know this program is a forever program for me, one day at a time, and that as I stay abstinent, thank you, I can continue getting even more spiritual and emotional and physical recovery. I know that it can happen and um, <coughs> plan on sticking around. And the one thing is, I said it earlier, but the thing that just saved me is no matter what, put your butt in a chair once a week, even when you're done with OA. And, or um, service saved my butt one time. Service positions were rotating, and uh, my sponsor said, why don't you do literature? And I had to be there every week because the guilt of me not showing up with it would kill me or just show up. So I took on the literature position so that I had to be somewhere every week. Um, that saved my butt also doing service. So thank you for allowing me to be of service, and keep coming back, everyone. Can we have the photos passed back up so they can get there? Okay, cool. All right, so now it's questions and answers, and we've got a lot of really good questions, so I'll read them off, and then you'll have Michelle gets a share, Michelle gets a share, and then we'll just do the next. So the first question someone had was, how is OA not a cult or movement? Hi, I'm Michelle G. I I also wanted to say my phone number's in the front of my photo album if anyone uh, wants to call me, but um, a cult or a movement. Um, I thought when I came in, too, I had my sponsor told me to get a buddy, and so I was buddies with someone else who was new, and we would sit in the meetings and be like, what are they talking about? And um, you know, and then I would I would go home, and the relationship I was in at that time my uh, boyfriend would say, are they going to have you drink the Kool-Aid? And, you know, like, what's going on? But, um, you know, it's not a diet club. It's not, it's a spiritual program. So it's, you know, it's it's not a cult or a movement. It's, you know, about, like I started to say with the big book, you know, it it's, the book is is how to have a relationship with a power greater than yourself. And, that's the, you know, that's the thing to me that, that keeps me, it keeps me absent every day. It keeps me practicing the principles in all my affairs. It's, you know, it's, I know it kind of sounds like a cult when everyone, you know, especially like if there's a newcomer and everybody's like, welcome newcomer, and, you know, but, um, yeah, just if that's your thought though, just keep coming back. Thanks. My thought is that I can come whenever I want and I can leave whenever I want. If I leave, you know, people might call me to say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. But no matter what, if I come back at my top weight, I'm accepted. Um, everybody has their own food plan. You know, nobody has to do the same thing. We all get to choose. Um, so I think that because there's no have-tos, you can come and just put your butt in a chair every every meeting and and do just that. And if you want to leave, you can leave. Um, my experiences don't leave, but 
that's my bias. But you can. Um, I think that's one of the big, you know, how I no longer see it as a cult. You know, it's those different things. Stay there, stay there. Since you're up, okay. next question is, who determines your food plan? Me and my higher power. My food plan is something that, uh, like I said with my sponsor, we talked about my abstinence. We also decided my food plan. And my food plan is... In my three meals, it's like, you know, I have protein at each meal. I have vegetables. And, you know, it's something that I worked out with my sponsor and and with my higher power. So I go by the definition of abstinence that the World Service has put forth, which is I forget exactly how it's worded, but it has to do with our eating behaviors and moving towards or at a healthy body weight. So that was one of the things when I was new, I had heard somebody like that wasn't the definition when I was new, but I'd heard somebody talk about moving towards a healthy body weight. And, and I didn't really come in here to lose weight. I came in here to, to, um, stop eating out of control, but um, that made sense to me though, because I know that if I'm moving towards or at a healthy body weight, I'm not compulsively overeating. How has your abstinence or food plan changed while losing weight or while maintaining? This is not the part I totally like. I have to eat less food. That's what's really changed as I lost weight. <laughs> it's I don't get as much food anymore. Um, but it's changed as far as some food I was still eating and then realized, okay, this is actually a little bit more of a problem than I want to admit. And so I've realized, okay, some more food has come out of my food plan. Um, so I, I don't know if that's a result of actually losing, because I was losing weight, I changed it, or it was a more... My Harry Power helping me. You'll get a little more peace if you choose to not eat X. Um, so, yeah. Okay. I'll do two at a time since you guys are okay. Do you struggle with being more anxious or agitated your first year or two of abstinence? Do you struggle with being more anxious and agitated during the first couple year or two of abstinence? And if so, what helped you with it? And did it pass eventually? So, I, de I think that I definitely had some more anxious times because I, my body was so, it was like detoxing. It was detoxing from the amount of food I was having. And so, it was also, oh, I had this feeling, oh, I'm not grabbing a whole pizza to eat. So, then I had to go through that. And feelings for me are not always comfortable. I don't like feelings sometimes. And so that's where some of the anxiety would come in is, oh, crap, here comes feelings. Oh, I'm not going to go grab a pizza. But fortunately, OA is giving me, given me tools, such as the telephone, that, oh, I'm having feelings. I'm not going to reach for a pizza. I can reach for my phone. I'll be honest, I'm not good at that. But I can pick up a pen and write. And that helps with my anxiety. 
or I like to draw, so I'll draw sometimes. Um, and so it's gotten a lot better. One, because that obsession gets removed one day at a time. There are times where the obsession does come back, and that's when I need to be diligent about talking with my sponsor about it or other people. But that, that anxiety definitely lessens as I, um, if I work my program, though, I have to be doing my program, and that anxiety definitely lessens. What do you eat? Can you be specific? What do I eat? Can I be specific? Um, So I have, what I eat specifically, I eat pretty much the same things all the time. I have protein at each meal. I have vegetables um, almost at every meal, not always at breakfast, but always lunch and dinner. Um, And I have at least two servings of fruit a day. I, I mean, I don't have flour and sugar as part of my abstinence, but I generally don't eat any refined flour, any refined sugar. Um, and I pretty much eat the same things just over and over chicken, fish, vegetables, um, fruit. Uh, there's one fruit I can't eat, which is bananas. And, um, they trigger the physical allergy obsession of the mind. Um, so I hope that's specific enough. How do you explain the need for a sponsor to someone who doesn't understand or believe anyone cares about the complicity? How do you explain the need for a sponsor to someone who doesn't understand or believe that anyone cares? My experience with that is that I I had that call time with my sponsor every day. So she picked up the phone every day. And so here's this person who picks up the phone and and listens to me. And especially in the beginning, it was just crazy, like blah, 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 vomit out all of my problems and issues. And And little by little, I got to see like, people care or, you know, like at a meeting, like people care and they talk to you after the meeting. And so it's, it's really just that, like, and I would hear, you know, we'll love you until you can love yourself. And so it was like that, that is how it worked for me and how I would explain it also to somebody who doesn't believe that, that there's somebody who would care enough about them and their compulsive overeating. I actually, I come from a place where like, we're very, very fortunate because I hear from other people that there's not as many meetings in other cities as we have in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. So, um, what I suggest to people is to just get to as many meetings as you can listen to podcasts. Um, and then also you know, ask God to help you, you know, like, like when you, when you put forth that effort, like I believe that God will put the right sponsor in your life and that person will show up.
on the um, question on how to explain the need for sponsor to someone who doesn't understand or believe anyone cares about their compulsive eating, my sponsor doesn't really care about my compulsive eating. She cares about me. Um, her biggest thing is for me just to be honest with her, that she really doesn't care if I go eat cake, but she cares because she cares about me, and she knows that if I go eat cake, what that's going to do to me because she's, I've worked with her long enough that she knows and so, um, and my experience when I sponsor also, it's not about the food. I care about the person. And it's actually what, you know, I have to remember what Michelle said. I have to remember also that I'm told that everyone will love me until I can love myself. And so I, always, I try and share that with newcomers and the people that I sponsor. And sometimes I want to say that's BS when my sponsor will say it to me now still sometimes. Um, but I haven't experienced anything else. And so having not had an experience where someone's like, yeah, I don't really care about, you know, I've had, I don't care about your food, but nobody's not cared about me. In my head, I created that, but it's never been true. Um, another way to find a sponsor, I have told people, even if people aren't raising their hand to sponsor, go up to them and ask them. And they might say, no, I'm not sponsoring. Some might say, well, I'll get you started. Um, I suggest just asking people, even if they're not raising their hand to sponsor, if you, have, if you feel like they have what you want, ask them. Um, on telephone, I've done phone meetings, and they'll say, you know, if anybody available to sponsor, and people will leave their name and number, and so that's a way to get a sponsor. I don't know if at the convention at some point, at one of the larger meetings, they'll do the same thing, where they'll ask available sponsors, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I would say just ask people. Stand and enjoy hands and say the surrender prayer.